week I had a, uh, just a, a fun time of a, two different times being able to have some dinners with some uh, friends and so just a lot of fun time at the dinner eating good food and sharing stories and of course like it turned into like Uncle Joel's story hour and I just started telling stories on myself and stories that should be embarrassing that you shouldn't share and stuff from college days you know and just and at uh, at both meals one of my college roommates was there Cliff and so that just you know he was poking the bear to get more stories out of me and so we're just telling stories at one point I laughed so hard I fell out of my chair I mean literally it Found out, and at some point it occurred to me on, on one of the dinners, uh, one of our friends had invited his girlfriend there, and she'd been to church two or three times. And it occurred to me, I had this thought, but of course, in the middle of you know Uncle Joel's story hour, there's no filter, just whatever's here, like whoa, here it came. Um, I just said, you know, I realize, and you know, said her name, said, you know, I realize, like you've been to our church two or three times, and that might be the last time you come to church after tonight because all these stories I told. And I said. Or it could swing the other way. Like you could just tell all your friends, like, you got to get here, man. You'll never believe this church and what this guy, the stories this guy's telling. Um, we had a great time. One of the th- cool things about it was, is particularly on Friday night, is there was a couple there that uh, I, I had met a couple times but never had any kind of deep conversations with. And uh, they were uh, a friend of mine's neighbors. And it was so cool because all the stories and the laughter and sharing a meal together, like, you know, we really felt like we knew them and drew close together. And, and, and dinners do that. They'll draw you closer to other people. Dinners convey a welcome. Dinners convey who you accept. Uh, in fact, uh, you'll, you see this uh, kind of thing playing out in modern stories. You see it in the Bible, but in one of our modern stories, so 1967, there was a movie called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Um, I wasn't born then, but yet I, you know, I remember watching it, and uh, Turner Classic Movies, um, and it's a great one. Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy, Sidney Poitier. If you have not watched this, it's a must watch. The dialogue, the script, the acting, I mean, these are like Hollywood megastars. And in fact, Spencer Tracy was fighting cancer the whole time. I think he died six weeks after filming stopped, and, but yet the performance he gives is amazing. And so here's the whole story. Uh, Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn's uh, daughter goes to Hawaii for a 10-day vacation. Uh, she has a whirlwind romance with a doctor there who's about 10, 15 years older than her. And she comes home and it's guess who's coming to dinner. Hey, I've invited a friend. It's this guy that I met. We're going to get married. He's a doctor. He just got hired. Uh, for the World Health Organization. He's going to work in Geneva. It's prestigious. It's, you know, so parents, your head would be spinning already, this whirlwind romance. And then, oh, by the way, he's black. And so the movie is just dialogue of how the parents are wrestling with this. And then, and then you see how uh, the doctor's parents are wrestling from it from a black perspective and they're having to deal with what will people think and fear and people-pleasing issues come out. And, and you got to realize in 1967, it was still illegal uh, in 17 states to, to do an intermar- uh, interracial marriage. Just put your head around that. 1967, 17 states, when this movie came out, you could not marry somebody from another race. 17 states. Amazing. And yet it prompted all this dialogue and all this stuff. In fact, it wasn't too long after the movie came out that uh, that was stricken down in all 17 states. But still, you know all the feelings, all the things that were there. 
You see, dinners have this thing of like, when you bring people together like that, it stokes, it stokes camaraderie, yes, but it also stokes who am I going to accept and what group do I like or what group don't I like? And it, it can stoke fear, fear of the other, fear of the unknown, fear of the stereotypes we have of people. It can be people pleasing. I mean, who hasn't had like two sets of friends that for whatever reason they don't hang out and yet we feel pulled and who are we going to please and not please and how are we going to walk this out? Have you ever had friendships like that? Are we trying to negotiate both groups or this group doesn't think you should be hanging with that person and this person is like, ah. well, this happened all the time in the Bible. I mean, in fact, uh, it's hard to study Luke. In fact, I have a commentary that the whole commentary on Luke is around this whole motif called table fellowship. Who will Jesus eat with? Like you read Luke and the idea of who you will eat with comes up over and over and over again. And because people didn't like who Jesus would eat with. And there would be people who would say things to try to get him to drift one way or the other. Or they would pick on his disciples and try to get them to drift. And, and I wonder, how could we have a brand new freedom, freedom from our fears of the unknown or the other, freedom from uh, people pleasing so that we might actually get to uh, a place where we live out Jesus's vision. See, Jesus had this vision of a new family on earth and you see it lived out in his 12 disciples, don't you? So like his 12 disciples, you see, they are this motley crew, you know, the band of 12 merry men and they like uh, have all kinds of differences. So there's Simon the Zealot, who is like a revolutionary who wants to lead his oppressed countrymen to overthrow the Roman government. So he would have led attacks on Roman soldiers to uh, overthrow them and attacks on Jews who worked for the Romans because they would have been seen as traitors. So that's one guy in Jesus' band of 12 merry men, but he's also got Matthew, tax collector, traitor, you know, who is a Jew who works for the Roman government so that he can make lots of money. And Jesus says, I think these two guys would be good teammates. Let's bring them together, you know? <laughs> so like there's this vision that Jesus has that like what you have in Jesus like trumps any other identity you might have. And so he puts this together and it's amazing to watch. And so the early church began to do that too. Over and over and over again, they would do that. So today, here's what I want us to, to wrestle with. Because Lord knows we got some divisions in the world, right? And Lord knows the world is trying to push us into either or divisions all the time. Black, white, rich, poor, left, right, citizen, immigrant. I mean, it's everywhere, right? It's just always trying to form us into either or categories. And unfortunately, the church of Jesus Christ falls into that all the time. So I'm left-leaning, I can't go to this church. I'm right-leaning, I can't go to that church. I'm, you know, most segregated hour in America is the church hour, right? I mean, so, I mean, you just see it everywhere. Like, we just get in our little groups and we cut people off. And so how, how and so often it's fear-based or so often it is people-pleasing that I don't know which group to be a part of and I don't want to make my friends mad and my group mad and, and we wrestle with it. And then not even just on big issues like I just said, but even on an interpersonal basis, isn't like the enemy always trying to divide us relationally with family members? I mean, not even on any of those topics I just said, but there's always this pool of, well, you're a part of my group, so you can't be friends with that group. And it sounds junior high, but I see adults fall into that all the time. 
So how could we have a brand new freedom, freedom from fear, freedom from people pleasing and be able to live out this vision that Jesus had for a new family that was like multi-socioeconomic, multicultural, multi-ethnic and who, who rally around Jesus and truly love one another. That's the story I want to tell today. Now, uh, we're not going to look at it on the screen yet, but uh, you can go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 2 and get ready to, for some scripture later. But let me set up Galatians. So we're looking at a letter called Galatian. Galatia was a territory we would call modern Turkey. And so this area was an area that uh, was completely pagan. It would be called Gentile, meaning non-Jew. So the people of God had this part of God's word and nobody else had it. And so these are people worshiping idols, all kinds of greed, all kinds of, of different lifestyle things happening and immorality and, and just uh, the idolatry was off the charts. And so all of this, and it was all the people that the people of God historically had said could never please God. And yet this guy named Paul, who was a Jew of Jew, who was religious to the nth degree, tried to obey all 613 commands in there, was part of one of the strictest denominations of Judaism. He was so like bent on pleasing God that when he thought Christians weren't from God, he had them put in jail. He beat them up. He oversaw one of their executions we know. And so this guy was all in when it came to religion. And yet uh, what happened is uh, the light went on literally because Jesus uh, just met him on a road and he, may, he realized that Jesus was actually God and that he learned that the way that truly pleased God is not try to obey all these. If your windows are rolled down, that'd be a good time to, to leave. Um, or if you're riding a motorcycle, you're out of luck. Um, the, uh, he realized that you can't do enough to please God because all of us have done something wrong. All of us have sinned. And so the light that went off was the way to please God is to just know that through Jesus, Jesus lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, rose from the dead. And so the way to please God is to trust that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection counts for your life, death, and resurrection, that he paid the penalty for you and lived a perfect life. And the way to be okay with God is just accept that through Jesus, God says you're okay. You aren't okay. You're still doing bad stuff, but he says you're okay. And then what Paul realizes is when you get that kind of grace from God, it actually is way better than trying to follow those rules. His grace and his presence living in you are to be okay and live the way you should. Well, what this did for, for people like Paul who were Jews, who were schooled on God and holiness and righteousness, what it did for them is their minds were expanded and they began to think, wait a second, we always thought you had to do all this stuff and there was this one little bitty country in the whole world that was trying to do that and we just thought everybody else was doomed for hell. But if it's not about pleasing God and trying to obey all this and have all of our traditions, that means this thing can go worldwide. And that's why Paul found himself in what we call modern day Turkey telling everybody about Jesus because now they didn't have to become a Jew and try to obey all this and change all their traditions and their customs. They can actually just accept Jesus 
as their Lord and Savior, and he comes and lives in them by grace through faith, and they become transformed people, and they please God because God says, you please me through my son now, and I'll show you how to live right from now on, but you don't have to try to get right to be right. I'm just going to say you're right because of Jesus, my son, living in you. I hope that makes some semblance of sense. Well, what ends up happening because of this new world that was being created, those with long-held traditions end up, they're they're confused and they're mad. In fact, Paul preaches all over Turkey, and there's this group of people that he called Judaizers. They were people who believed in Jesus, but said, in order to really please God, you have to obey all this and all the traditions we've added to this. They start following Paul all around, and they start doing some cleanup business. They go, I know what Paul preached, but it is this. It is grace through Jesus, but it's also to really please God, you got to eat kosher, and you got to dress this way, and you got to be circumcised. Now, can we just say, I'm going to get to the fear stuff and the people pleasing. We're doing a deep dive, then we'll get there. Can I just say, we're talking about circumcision. That is weird to talk about. I mean, it's just weird. I mean, well, for 50% of the people in the room, it doesn't even apply. You know, so, I mean, that's, um, and uh, uh, kind of a private thing. And right now in the world, it's just what? Medically elective, whatever, if you want to, if you don't, whatever. Um, But let me help you understand why it was such a big deal. Back then, only Jewish people, for the most part, got circumcised. And it wasn't a medical thing. It was a religious thing. And it wasn't just a religious thing. It was a cultural identity marker. He said, that's weird. I I get it. God tells Abraham, 2,000, 2,200 years, something like that, before Jesus. He tells Abraham to be circumcised. He's an old guy. That's rough. And to have his son circumcised. And you say, why in the world would God want that? I think there's a couple of reasons. One is, it is like a cut in the flesh that says you belong to a bigger group. So that's part of it. It's an identity marker. You, this is your identity. Um, the other thing it does is, because of where the cut happens, it has this symbol of, because it's given at the same time of the blessing of Abraham, All of your offspring, male or female, will belong to God, and all of them will be blessed by God. So it had that marker to it also. Um, It also, circumcision does this, because of where it's at, private, weakest part of your body type thing, it really conveys a message that what you do with your body matters to God. Like He cares about every part of you. Seen, unseen, strong, weak, doesn't matter. Private, public. Like your whole being belongs to God, so it conveyed that. And for 2,200 years, this was the thing. Like you never, I like how Ray Pritchard in his Galatians master classes, like you would never walk up to another Jewish guy and go, hey, are you circumcised? I mean, you'd never ask. You don't need to, you know. Now, I'm not going to ask you because I don't care and don't need to know, don't want to know, right? And they wouldn't ask back then because it would be a useless question because every Jewish male for 2,200 years up until that point had been circumcised. And now a guy is going around saying, you can be okay with God without even having your male son circumcised. And it's like mind-blowing for because 2,200 years, it was the sign that you belonged to God. It was the sign you were okay with God. It was the sign that you belonged to God's group, God's people. You say, Joel, what, like, why is that a big deal? Well, think about some of your traditions and when they get upset. Take this like a little tradition. Let's just go with a little tradition. Think of like one of your most sacred family traditions, whatever that is, usually around holidays, right? 
Maybe it's just how your holidays go down. Like, we always go to Grandma's house at 4 o'clock on Christmas Eve. And, you know, we start by having some punch and appetizers. And then we eat dinner. And then after dinner, we start opening gifts. And at 7, we go to a Grandma's Christmas Eve service at her church. We come back and we, you know, um, finish opening gifts with all the extended family. And at the end, we, you know drink spiced cider and give it to your, I don't know what you do at the end, but you do something, right? Um, And that's your thing. Like your family, every holiday does that. Till your dumb brother-in-law makes a suggestion, like, I don't think we should do that anymore. Like, I I think we should meet at five because I want to stay at my family's longer. And, uh, you know, the Christmas Eve service is so boring. Let's not go to that. Just tell me, think about some of the family traditions you have and what happens when one family member decides to do something different. (gasps) Did you hear? They're, gonna, they're not going to come to Christmas Eve until 7. Oh, right? That's just a little thing, right? And yet those kind of traditions, now think about circumstances. That's a 2,200-year-old tradition. You can find book, chapter, and verse. Many book, chapter, and verse that says you should do it. And now you've got a guy saying, nah, don't need to do that tradition. Maybe, maybe your family is pretty casual like mine and you don't have those kind of moments. Can I just dial it up a little bit to help you feel what this might be like? Now, let me just give you a, a warning here. I am not making a political statement. I am not saying what I think should or shouldn't happen. Please, don't, don't write me letters because that's not what I'm saying here. All I'm trying to do is evoke emotion. So if you feel mad by the end of this, I have done my job to help you feel this. So is that clear? That's the disclaimer. A couple years ago, What's one of the most sacred traditions we have as a country? Star Spangled Banner. That's sporting events. I don't know how that started. But we do that, right? And it's a solemn moment, quiet, honoring the veterans, honoring the country, right? What happened, regardless of motive, I'm not making any comments on any of this, just regardless of motive, what happened when a few people decided to kneel during that? How do people respond? How did you respond? I'm still not touching enough emotion of what would have been felt by circumcision. Because that tradition, I don't know when it started, but let's just say it started in 1776, which I don't think they were doing it right then. Star Spangled Banner wasn't written, but whenever we started doing that before sporting events, let's just say it's 100 years old, 200 years old. Okay, that's a lot of years, but circumcision, 2,200 years. Like, you can't find something in the Constitution or Declaration of Independence that says, or a law that says, when the national anthem played, you should do this. These people could find book, chapter, and verse. They could find God himself saying, every male baby should be circumcised. Now do you understand when Paul starts going around saying, no, you don't need to do that anymore? Do you understand the emotion there? Paul knows when anybody adds those kind of traditions of of these laws in here or just cultural traditions or ways of doing things and you add it to people outside of your group, he says, what you're saying is it's not just salvation through Christ. It might be okay for you to have all these traditions of circumcision. Jewish Christians could still do all of that. Paul never preached to them about not doing it. He said, but when you take your traditions and you force it onto another group, you're actually confusing them. You can do those traditions because it's just part of your culture and you don't ever confuse that it's, it's grace alone. But when you force it on this group, they, they begin to see, oh, I got to believe in Jesus plus do these things, then I'll be okay with God. And Paul says, that's not right. He tells a story about a dinner party that happened in Antioch Church in Syria, 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And 
What's cool about the church of Antioch is, is the city of Antioch was actually walled off, rich, poor, different nationalities, and they rarely saw each other. But in ancient history, one of the few documents we have where the different people, groups, and races got together was the church in Antioch, Acts chapter 13. I mean, there's Italians mentioned, Jews are mentioned, Syrians, Iranians, Africans are mentioned, and they're all hanging out. And it's one of the few places you would ever hang out in Antioch, and they're one family. And they're all sharing meals together. And the Jews are trying the Gentile foods. And they would have never sat at the same table, used the same plates as Gentiles. Yet they're doing that. Gentiles would have never had a meal with Jews. And, and they had all kinds of stereotypes about Jews. And so that's all being broken down. And they're becoming one family in Jesus. And, and an apostle named Peter, he comes and he hears. He travels 300 miles from Jerusalem, goes north to Antioch. And he goes there and he wants to see what all the hubbub's about. And his mind is blown like, it is true. I knew God saved Gentiles. Gentiles, but not only does he save them, they don't have to become Jews in order to become Christians. And not only that, we actually can blend our two groups and still keep our cultural, racial distinctives and yet love one another and create this new family in Christ. And so Peter loves it. He's having dinner. He's eating a lot of bacon, which he normally wouldn't have done. You know, I mean, it's all that. It's like, this is great. I'm making new friends. And then this other group shows up from Jerusalem. They're spying. Paul, in this, in this scripture we're going to read in just a second, he uses a word uh, that means like telescope, like spying. They're spying. And something bad goes down. Take a look, Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. When Cephas, that would be another name for Peter, not Bo for your country music fans. When Bo Cephas came to Antioch, no, it's just Cephas, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So Peter's eating with all the Gentiles. There's one big group here. This other group shows up. And they begin to look down like, I can't believe our Jewish brothers and sisters would be eating with unclean people and they're not doing our traditions. And we don't know exactly what happened. My guess something went down. Of, they went to Peter and said, hey, Peter, really like you and all, but this isn't right. Like, you're, you're a Jew and you're causing problems and people back in Jerusalem are talking that you're not staying pure to our culture and to our traditions and you're upsetting the apple cart and you need to eat with us. So this beautiful picture in this church where they were all eating at one table, Paul walks in and now they're eating at separate tables. And Paul has known that Peter has given in to fear, fear of man and people pleasing, and he's also given in to an us and them mentality of division, and so he eats at this table, and Paul says this is actually causing not only division in the church, but it's actually breaking the gospel message down. Take a look at uh, verse 14, when I saw they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, Ray Pritchard in his master's class on Galatians says that that word acting in line is actually orthopedusin. It's, it's where we get our word orthopedics. It means, you know, orthopedics is to straighten a bone to, you know, make it straight, make it good. He says they actually weren't making the gospel straight. They were actually deviating. They were making the gospel crooked by eating with different people. He said, I said in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow 
Jewish customs. He says, you already quit living like a, a Jew trying to obey all 613 commands and doing all the traditions. You already left that behind. Why are you forcing this on, on others who you couldn't live up to it and they can't live up to it? You are play acting. You are being a hypocrite in this moment. You're not even living out what you know Jesus said to be true. You're not even living out your own convictions, your guiding principles. You're, you're acting different. He continues, verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know a person is not justified by the works of the law. You're not going to be okay by doing all the rule uh, uh, or obeying all the rules, but only in faith in Jesus Christ. So too have, uh, so we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the laws, nobody will be justified. Nobody will be okay by God by following all these traditions and all these rules. Paul would write elsewhere, Romans 3, 23 and 24, all have fallen short, uh, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious ideal. Every group, every group you can imagine, nobody makes it. And in his context, he was saying all, meaning all Jews and all Gentiles, but all can be saved through the redemption of Jesus Christ who paid our death penalty for us on the cross. So that sets up the, the whole thing. I need to land the plane with this. Peter is under fear and people pleasing and fear of man and he, fear maybe even of the other, of the people that are different than him in the group that he once liked, but now that other people are chirping in his ears, he, he's, he's realizing maybe I need to distance myself and he gives in to that. And who hasn't felt that? Either in your own interpersonal relationships, maybe, I don't know what the divisions might be over, but who hasn't felt that in our world today? Maybe you've been hurt because somebody used to hang with you, but then another group chirped in their ear and they don't hang with you anymore. Like, how do we deal with that people-pleasing and fear thing that's in us? Let me read from the message, Paul's conclusion. Chapter 2, verse 19. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman, meaning I quit trying to obey all the traditions and all of the commands that were given. I quit that. That didn't work. So I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. I think that's key. I identified myself completely with Jesus. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion, and I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives within me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to go back to that. Is it not clear to you that to go back to the old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If, I live, if a living relationship with God could come by rule-breaking, or rule-keeping, excuse me, then Christ died unnecessarily. 
The freedom you've been promised and I've been promised is freedom from performance-based living and religion, freedom from people-pleasing, freedom from sin and freedom to live holy, freedom to cross cross-cultural barriers and build real relationships to resist this world that wants to force us into either or instead of have a both-and approach, and to resist the division that our world, I mean, it seems like Every website, every Facebook page, every, I don't care what news you watch, whether it's left-leaning or right-leaning, you get on their website and read, the first five stories of each is designed to divide us. Jesus has this different way that we can actually build relationships with people who are not like us, and we can love people. Wow. We can be free from people-pleasing by pleasing Jesus. And I think part of it is what Paul says here, quit performance-based religion. As soon as you realize the God of the universe has approved you through his son Jesus, you can resist the temptation to be enslaved of everybody else's opinion of you. Do you get it? The God of the universe says you're okay, not because you are okay, but because Jesus lives in you and you already have God's approval, then why in the world would we bend over backwards trying to gain the approval of other people? I'm not telling you to be a jerk. I hope you know enough about the New Testament of that. If you're a jerk, I'll take you outside. You're a jerk, man. You're not Jesus. That isn't the goal, to be a jerk. The goal is, is to be a person who can be free to love everyone and build relationships with lots of kinds of people. To open the door of your heart and your house and cross barriers, not divide, but be maybe the one unifying factor in your family or your group of friends. Larry Crabb says, receiving grace always requires humility. It requires the death of pride and self-sufficiency. Once you quit performance-based religion, you'll stop making your spouse, your coworker, the group of people you don't like to try to live up to a standard you yourself can't live up to. And you'll be free from play acting, performing for them in order to gain their approval since you already have God's approval. Second thing, put your identity in Christ. Paul said, I quit making my primary identity marker the, the church I belong to. I'm no longer a Pharisee. My race and my culture, a Jewish man. My citizenship of Israel, being a religious leader. And he said, I instead made my primary identity Christ. When you and I see ourselves as Jesus people first and foremost, it frees us up to relate to lots of kinds of people. And instead of feeling the need to please one group over the other, we can be strong enough in Jesus, differentiated enough in Jesus that we can actually relate to both groups. This is the promise, I think, that Jesus has for it. I think it's the life that he lived. Recently, I read a story, and I'll close here. Recently, I read a story this week, actually. Maybe you saw it on the news. Um, Anthony Johnson is a police officer for Columbus City Police. Um, last year, during the protests, he was hit by an electric scooter and fell and blew up his rotator cuff. And so he's been off work for a year. Um, and uh, one cool thing about Officer Johnson, a couple cool things, one is, he was very much into community policing, like he has spoken at uh, the Harvard Kennedy School of Government on uh, social justice and on community policing and as well as the, the Ohio State University. And it's not just lectures, he actually has taken time to build relationships with the people in Southeast Columbus across a lot of racial and cultural barriers. Um, 
And he was worried, he said, I was nervous coming back to the force a couple weeks ago because he said, um, I was nervous because of everything that happened last year and all the boxes the world has tried to push us into of, well, do I, uh, do I, uh, you know, um, support people of color? Do I support police? Like, I'm not sure how there became an either or. Like, I, I mean, we're smarter than this, right? Like, you, there's a lot of things you can do both. Like, don't allow yourselves by your political affiliation to be forced or your particular cultural affiliation to be forced into either or thing. Like, you can actually do both. But he was as concerned because of the divisions, this would not happen. And so he went back and uh, A, his social media account blew up because of some of the talks he's been given throughout this. I think he has like 8 million views or something ridiculous. Uh, literally 8 million. I'm not making that up. It's 8 million. And um, the neighborhood accepted him. One mom, person of color, said, I haven't met not one kid that don't know him. My kids love the Columbus Police Department. We've never had a problem with them. Like I always told them, don't run from the police, run to them. That's a different message. But it's also a different message that happened because I think Officer Johnson did the hard work of building relationships and because he's a follower of Jesus. And I think it would be pretty easy for him to see his identity as an injured police officer, injured in a protest that could make a man bitter. And yet he saw his identity in Christ as bigger than any other identity. And so he's went back to work and he continues to build bridges instead of barriers. I imagine he has some pressure on all sides to fit in one group or the other, and that he's a Jesus man that has decided to just be who Jesus has called him and try to bring people together. If you want to be free from people pleasing, you should start by pleasing Jesus. Quit your performance-based religion and put your identity in Christ. Please stand with me. Let's close with some prayer time.